Welcome to Free Life Chapel, where we help you discover and live the free life in Christ. My name is Genesis, and I'm so happy that you decided to tune in with us today. Go ahead and connect with us by dropping a comment or visiting our website at freelifechapel.org. We have an amazing experience in store for you, so go ahead and check this out. I'm so glad you're here today. If it's your first time with us at Free Life, you picked an amazing day to be here. I have a man is going to be speaking here, a pastor is going to be speaking here today for us. As you know, we don't open this platform up to just anybody. The platform matters. We only have 52 of these opportunities a year to come together. Every single one of them are of high, the highest importance. And so those that we bring to this platform, we want to know that they've got something to say that they've heard from God and they're going to deliver some hope and life and joy and strength and direction to us. This man I have the absolute utmost confidence in. I flew in last night. I flew the red eye from uh, Phoenix, Arizona last night and uh, got here and, and I got back because I wanted to be in church today because I want to be under this man's preaching. Pastor David... Hughes is the lead pastor at, at uh, Church by the Glades uh, in Coral Springs, and absolutely the church there is, it is a standard setting ministry that churches across the nation look to. I will tell you without any hesitation, the most creative church in the nation that I have ever seen, and, but I want you to understand, not creative to be sexy, creative to reach people with the hope and the love and the life of Jesus. It comes with a purpose and an intention, and I love that. Their team is amazing, what they have built there. I had the honor of preaching there last weekend. Uh, they have seven squillion services every weekend to get all the people in there. Uh, they're reaching in a massive, massive way. Pastor David is a graduate of Baylor University. They had a big win yesterday, by the way, so a uh, little, little bit of uh, fun stuff there. But Pastor David is married to an amazing lady as well, uh, Lisa Hughes. So good to have you with us today, Lisa, right here on the front row. Three, three amazing, amazing kids, and uh, they're just doing an amazing job. So many pastors look to them, including Cindy and I, drawing and, and gleaning from who they are. I want you to help me, Free Life Chapel, to please stand to your feet, and I want you to give honor to whom honors due, Pastor David Hughes, as he comes today to bring this word. My friend! Thank you. Please sit down. That was way too kind, way too kind. And if your pastor falls asleep during the sermon, he was on a red eye last night. Scott, thank you. You should be home, man. You should be home. And I thank you for that kind welcome. But truth be told, let's start with some honesty. Always good to start with honesty. Um, I'm here out of pure selfishness. I mean, you know why? You're Free Life Chapel. I, I'm here because I wanted to be here. I... It's been a couple years, but I've been here before. I didn't know what to expect. This is a unique, dynamic church to step into this context, into this house, into this movement of God. And so I drove here, I'm reminded that Lakeland, Lakeland is lovely, but it's not large. But the impact of this church, the power of this church, the passion of this church, the worship at this church, your talented, dedicated team who leads you. So listen, I, I'm just being selfish. 
I cannot wait to be back with you. So thank you. The honor truly is all mine. So I, I love you. I love this church. I love, I love this church so much. But if I'm being fully candid, my favorite thing about this great ministry, it is your leaders. It's the people who love and lead you. Lisa and I are raving fans of our friends, Pastor Scott and Cindy Thomas. Uh, I can say so many great things, so many accolades about Scott and Cindy, but the first thing I want to say is this. They are the parents of preaching phenomenon, Caleb Thomas, right now. Caleb, I've, I've watched you preach on Instagram. I watched the whole sermon this week. To watch how good you have become, to be as young as you are, you should not be that good. His confidence on stage... His biblical content, uh, your illustrations. I, I just was so proud of what you've become. And then you married way over your head. <laughs> Lovely, about to become a dad. And so, again, uh, Scott and Cindy have done many things, being the proud parents of preaching phenomenon, young, young Caleb Thomas. But, you know, as, as leaders, I want you to, if you don't know Scott and Cindy, please get to know them. They are as kind and as nice off the stage as they are on the stage. They're, they're wonderful, godly people. They adore you. But as communicators, Scott, look, I, I, I told you, you know, backstage, I never invite anyone to my church because they're my friend. You've got to be able to deliver the goods. And Scott has one of the rarest preaching gifts I know. It's this neat commingling. Look, this is my thing. I study preachers. I study colleagues and communicators. He has this commingling of kindness. He has that smile and that warmth and approachability. At the same time, he can download so much biblical truth without compromise, with conviction. The way he teaches the word of God is so powerful. And by the way, I, I talk fast. People tell me I talk fast. But Hurricane Thomas, with verbal communication, sustained winds of 185 miles an hour, he's a cat five preacher with gusts up to 220 you got to be smart to be at this church. you got to be smart. Those neurons got to fire quickly because he throws so much information at you. If it's your first time and you're dumb, you're okay because I'm here today. But next week, it's Scott. So come hungry to hear. And Scott, I don't know anyone can do that the way. Again, you can say very hard things with such kindness without any spirit of condemnation or judgment. And people unfold their arms and open up their hearts. And it's just a really cool gift you have. And if it wasn't annoying enough that both the guys can preach, then you have sensational Cindy. And if you're watching online, I hope none of my friends are watching online because I might hurt someone's feelings. So Cindy, we, so Cindy spoke at a giant women's event a few months ago with some of the best female communicators literally on the planet. Uh, Christian leaders from all over the world come in for this thing. And I mean, it, the lineup was stacked. So I asked Lisa, my wife, and Victoria, my 20-year-old, I said, okay, of all those great speakers, I'm telling you, loaded, people we love and admire, great, great community. I said, who was the best? She said, they both said, David, Cindy Thomas. Cindy Thomas. It's my friends, you're watching. I'm sorry, but that's just what they said. Everybody was awesome. But, you know, Cindy has, you know, again, they, they both look like supermodels except off the catwalk and into your church and... They got these great smiles, these superpower smiles. They have extra teeth from God. Then she has all that hair and that Puerto Rican charm. And so, so if you're here for the first time, I apologize. You got me and not Scott nor Cindy. But listen, come back next week. Don't miss a week of what God is doing here. If you're watching online, listen, this church is so great. People drive in from far away. 
It is worth the drive. Thank you for being here during this busy, busy season. Let's jump right into the text right now. If you have your Bible, uh, turn to John chapter 20. We'll be there in just a moment. Let me set up the conversation this way. And by the way, one thing I love about you, you're like my church, Church by the Glades. My people talk back to me. I don't pastor or sit there and stare at you kind of church. My people say things. If I'm doing good, they'll say, come on, or that's right, or throw out an old school amen. Scott, the best I've ever got twice in my career. I've got preach it, white boy, two times. Two times. When you look like me and get that, that, that's a good response. So feel free to engage if you would. Dialogues are more fun than monologues. And so we'll dialogue in a moment, but the new series is entitled Wish List, Wish List, Wish List. And Scott told me the title, but didn't explain the premise behind it. So I can only assume this. Is that when your kid is writing that letter to Santa Claus, that wish list, right? That, that said, by the way, if you're new to the church, Scott and Cindy and Caleb will teach you biblical truth, God's word. And occasionally, just something not, not biblical, just helpful. Like, here's, here's something not in the Bible, just helpful. And I'll, I'll try to say this in grown-up code. When is the right time? Because my youngest right now is 12. My kids are 21, 20, and 12. I get that right, Lisa? 21, 20, and 12. Changes every year. Anyways. <laughs> when, mom and dad, when, I've scanned the room for kids. I don't see many kids. When is the right time to tell your, your child? Is it kindergarten, first grade, second? When do you tell them the Santa secret? You tracking with me? The Santa, when do, you, when do you tell them? When do you tell them? When do you tell them that? Okay, I'm going to tell you the time. It's not in the Bible. You tell them the Santa secret. When their wish list gets too expensive. <laughs> my youngest runs up to me and says, Daddy, Daddy's years ago, Daddy, I got, I got my list for Santa. Here's my list for Santa Claus. And I've been a really good boy this year. I'm asking Santa for an iPad, an iWatch, an iPhone. For Jordan's, a longboard, and an Xbox. I've been really good. That's the time. That's the time. Uh, I'm thinking, son, I hope somebody like when I was in kindergarten, Gary Gottlieb, whose family did not do Christmas, told me the Santa secret, right? But I'm off to give you some bad news because your wish list put me in a bad economic corner. Your $5,000 wish list has backed me in the corner. So I got some bad news. Bad news. Here's this hand of secret. And go back and reframe your wish list. Make it about $150 max. Amen? Not in the Bible. But that will help you. That will help you. All right. How about grown-up wish list? Grown-up wish list. I love dialogue. I love dialogue. Right, let me ask you a question. All right. One great thing for grown-ups, like, what do you want for Christmas? I don't know. Man, grown-ups, we get our own stuff, right? I buy my own clothes, right? I don't know what. Tickets, tickets, tickets. Any sports fans in the house? Somebody offers you tickets to uh, Tom Brady and the Bucks, right? That, that, that's a good gift. Uh, to the Lightning, the Lightning, Tampa Bay, man, that, that's, that's a good gift. Uh, Orlando Magic, not such a good gift. Anyways, um, uh, music fans, any music fans in the house? Music fans, right? All right. Somebody offers you, you know, Beyonce tickets. That's great. Any, any Broadway fans in the house? Like six of y'all. Yeah, yeah. Hamilton. Now, here's the part I want your participation. Say the person giving you this gift of tickets, uh, they're the promoter of the concert or the owner of the team, and they're going to give you any seats in the venue you want. I got two tickets, but you get to pick where they are. Question, what seats do you pick? What seats do you pick? 
What seats do you pick? Front and center, right? Oh, 100% if it's Tom Brady and the Bucks, you want 50-yard line, row A. Uh, if it's the Lightning, you want those seats, center ice, right there on the plexi. I had those seats one time for the Panthers, and I don't even do hockey. I'm not a hockey fan. I'm a South Florida boy, but it was fascinating. I mean, those guys would check each other in the plexi, and the plexi would crash and shake, and his face would hit and leave behind some snot and blood and a tooth. Yeah. If it's Beyonce, Queen B, you want front and center. So question, question, question. Don't answer it loud. Don't answer it loud. Shh, don't answer it loud. If you could pick one moment or miracle in the Bible to be there at, to be an eyewitness at, what moment or miracle would you? Let's reduce the conversation to the 33 recorded miracles of Jesus. Which would you choose? Don't answer it loud. Which would you choose? Don't answer it loud because you might say the wrong thing. <laughs> There's a right answer. You might say, oh, it's Christmas, Christmas, birth of Christ, birth of Christ. I'd go there for the birth of Jesus, right? Now, great, I get it, that's beautiful, yes, you're thinking, I'd be there for the birth of Jesus, the whole manger thing, and the shepherds, and the angels singing, and baby Jesus, baby Jesus with his halo, and Mary with his halo, and the donkey with his halo, and by the way, y'all know they didn't have halos, right? No, halos aren't, they didn't have halos, it's not in the Bible. By the way, the reason I know that too is if you have halos, you're getting a room. Oh, yeah, yeah. That innkeeper, someone rolls up with halos. Someone's getting evicted. Yeah. Someone like, hey, I, got, I, I need the presidential suite because let's have halo people at the front seat, right? So I wouldn't pick that one. Uh, maybe you say, ah, calming the storm, walking in the water. Scott, you preached a sermon about that I watched not too long ago. Uh, uh, feeding the 5,000 because you skip breakfast, you're hungry, thinking about lunch. Um, uh, I would say those are great, great miracles, great choices, great, yeah, awesome. And wrong, 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 and wrong. If you get to pick just one, just one, I know it's Christmas season, but just one miracle, I'm picking the resurrection of the king. I want to see Jesus on the third day explode from the tomb and throat punch death, fulfilling messianic Hebrew prophecy and his promises that he would arrive. I'm there for that one. Because that's not just the greatest miracle in the Bible. That's the greatest moment in human history. So I want to read a text with you. It describes that that event, that miracle moment, is described in several places in your Bible. Let me take you to, I love in John, John chapter 20, John chapter 20. It's a longer passage, longer passage. So here's what I've been doing lately, Scott, in my church. If it's a long passage, I'm fine to read a long passage. But sometimes I'll invite my team, my team to read the passage. Some people on our staff, I think it's more interesting. So if you'll allow me to share, because guess what? My church is so much like this church. You're going to see my people look like you guys. I'm going to allow the folks at Church by the Glaze to read this passage. Will you please follow along in your Bible? Turn your Bible on. Open up your Bible. John chapter 20 and verse 1, it says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen, lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. 
the cloth was folded by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away from me, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father, and your Father, to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Oh, that's such a great passage, such a great passage. Now let's think about the question I asked you. If you could have any seats for any event, what would you choose? Front and center. Front and center. Don't answer out loud. Don't answer out loud. I don't even put it in the chat if you're watching online. But did you notice who had the front and center courtside seats for the greatest event? Did you notice it? Don't say it. Did you notice? See, if you hadn't read the passage or didn't know the story well, you, you might guess. You might guess, uh-oh, who was there first? Who did Jesus appear to first risen from the dead, fulfilling prophecy? Uh, you might guess the first probably had to be uh, Simon Peter. Had to be Simon Peter. Peter was probably first, and that's a great guess. Every time you see a list of the 12 apostles, Peter always shows up first. I mean, he's a dynamic person, a natural leader, intrepid, you know. So you would guess Peter, but no, Peter was not first. You might go, okay, not Peter, uh uh, Matthew, maybe Matthew the disciple. Matthew was 12, and yes, he also won the apostles. Uh, he wrote the first gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a narrative biography of his life, the one that shows up first in the 27 books of the New Testament. So he wrote the first gospel, but he was not first. He was not first. Uh, by the way, Matthew's a cool story. Matthew's a zero to hero story in the Bible. You recall the Bible says Matthew was a tax collector, tax collector. Uh, tax collectors were not very popular. You're like, well, I don't like the IRS either. No, 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 no. Uh, tax collector is Bible code for a traitor. He's a Jewish guy collecting taxes from his Jewish neighbors to give to the hated Romans. Why would any Jewish person do that? Oh, they made it very lucrative. The Romans recognized in their empire the way to maximize tax receipts from conquered people groups was to use an indigenous person to get someone to turn traitor because he knew where the neighbors were hiding their gold and their wealth and stuff. So why would Matthew do that, turn against his own people, be a spiritual and social outcast? Money, money. So he had money when he met Jesus, but he had money, but he was miserable. Right, right. Y'all, we can have money and be very unhappy. Right, right. So he met Jesus, he had money. But he was friendless and he was hopeless till Jesus called his name. Jesus makes him one of the 12. He writes the first gospel, but he's not the first eyewitness. Now like, oh, not Peter, not Matthew, uh, James, John, nope, nope, uh, Nathaniel, nope, uh, Hail Mary, uh, Thomas, maybe it was Thomas. 
No, no, no. Thomas is not famous for being first, or Thomas is not famous for his faith. What is Thomas famous for? Thomas is what? Doubting. Doubting Thomas. Scott, I think we give Thomas a bad rap. A bad rap. He was heartbroken. When he heard, didn't see himself, he heard from the others Jesus was risen. When they appeared in the upper room, again, Judas was dead, and Thomas was at Starbucks or something. The ten were there, and Jesus appeared, then Jesus disappeared, and Thomas shows up, and they said, he's risen, he's alive, and Thomas said, can't do it. Gave three years of my life. Loved him more than my family. I watched him die. I saw him buried, and I love you guys, and I want to believe, but I can't believe just because you say it's true. I got to do my own homework. I got to do my own research. Guess what? I think God is okay with Thomas's. I mean, this, you're here, you don't believe everything Scott believes. You're here, you don't believe everything Caleb preaches. You're not sure about the Bible. You're not down with the whole Jesus thing yet, but you are here and you're asking questions. You're doing your homework. And by the way, the greatest question there is, is there a God? Did he make me? Is Jesus the Messiah, his son, and the Savior? Does he want a personal relationship? Oh, wrestle that one to the ground. This church, this church is okay with Thomas's. In fact, this church is built for Thomas's. You keep coming back. You kick the tires. You look under the hood. And if you're open, God will get all up in your stuff. So did you catch who was the first? Ladies, did you catch who was the first? Ladies, did you notice who were the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection of the king? My brothers, did you notice who made it first? It wasn't us. It was the women. It was the women who were the first. Don't sit there on your hands, ladies. It was the women who were the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection of the king. Scott, you told me to stay between these lines. I can't do that for anything, can I? I'm sorry online. Like, where's that guy talking? I can't see him. Too much caffeine today. It was the women. In a sexist society, Jesus chose the women. You may not know this, but Jesus had female dedicated disciples. I did not say apostles. Apostles are more of a technical term for the 12. But a disciple is a learner or a follower. He had these remarkable, intrepid, beautiful, smart women. So ladies, the title of the message today Message one in wish list is girl power. It's girl power. Now, my brothers, don't you tap out. My brothers, don't you tap out. My brothers, don't you tap out. I'll infuse enough testosterone in this conversation that is relevant for everybody. But the women were the first. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't James. It wasn't John. It wasn't the apostle Paul. It was the women. And did you notice who was the first among the first? Mary. In the text, Mary. Mary. That's why he's confused. Mary. I mean, Jesus' mama was the first person to see. No, 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 not that Mary. Jesus' mama was at their crucifixion, but there's no biblical record. She was present at the empty tomb that day. Uh, now, so she's a Jesus follower. She believes in Jesus. So what's, where's the confusion? Well, lots of people were named Mary back in the first century. It was a popular name. Like, I, I'm in my 50s. When I was a kid here in South Florida, when I was a kid here in South Florida, when I was a kid, it seemed like half of the brothers were named Barry, uh, Brad, or Brian. Popular names, right? Somebody go, hey, Brian, like 10 guys are turned around. So Mary is a popular name in the first century. It's a Hebrew name for Miriam, 
uh, a tribute to the sister of Moses who saved his life as a little boy. So there's lots of Mary. So who is this Mary? Who is this Mary? It's not his mama. Three quick things, Bible scholars. I got to tell you about this Mary. Write them down, write them down, or even a middle note. They'll all start with an M, an M. Here we go, M. Mary. This Mary's from the town of Magdala. She's from Magdala. Now I say three, shout the name Magdala. Ready? One, two, three. If you're watching online, put Magdala in the, ch in the chat if you can spell Magdala. Okay, Magdala, Magdala. Why is that important? Simple, it's this. It's a Hebrew city, Israeli city, and it's wealthy. That's a big deal because during the Roman occupation, the Romans taxed the life out of every conquered people group. There's a Roman recession. There's, everybody is poor unless you live in Rome. But Magdala found a way to innovate in a bad economy. I love people get creative when the economy is a little weird. They found a way to innovate. They began to develop textiles, beautiful robes, clothing, and dyes. So Magdala was a wealthy city. First M is Magdala. Second M is money. When I say three, shout the word money. One, two, three. Money. Okay, so Magdala no doubt had poor people, had servants and sadly slaves, but Mary had money. Mary was a wealthy woman from a wealthy city. How do we know that? Cross-reference Luke chapter 8. We learn that Mary helped finance the ministry of Jesus. Why would she do that? The Bible doesn't say. Best guess is this. When someone sets you free, when someone sets you authentically, holistically free, you'll leverage everything you have. You'll leverage your platform, your influence, your network, your relationships, and even your wealth. She would help other people find freedom. She helped bankroll the ministry of Jesus. So you got me? She's from Magdala. She has money. And the third one's the most important. Mary was messy. I mean, she's messy. She's a train wreck. I mean, she's, she's the messiest, weirdest, meanest person in Magdala. How do we know this? Uh, Cross-reference, if you will, Luke chapter 8, verse 2. We find out she financed Jesus' ministry. She's from Magdala. And it says when Jesus met her, she had seven demons. Y'all like hero movies? Like hero movies? Hero movies? Like Marvel movies? You should. I mean, Caleb looks like the Incredible Hulk. Do you like, like Marvel movies? So Marvel movies have origin stories, origin stories. It's how the hero became the hero or the villain became the villain. Uh, so the origin story is found in Luke chapter 2. It says she had seven demons, seven demons. So what's that mean? What, you're like, oh my God, seven demons, seven demons. That's, that's kind of creepy. David, what's that mean? Answer, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe demons are the way that these ancient pre-scientific people describe mental health issues. Uh, maybe she has borderline personality disorder. Maybe she's schizophrenic. Maybe she's a rapid cycle, bipolar. I, I don't know. Or maybe demon possession is something way more sinister and way more supernatural and way darker, or it's both. But for me, the interesting thing was not that she had demons. She had seven. Yeah. Scott, seven is the Bible's number symbolic of what? Completion or wholeness. This means that every part of her life was possessed by darkness. Wow. Every part of her life was dysfunctional. Every part of her life was everything, everything. Her habits, her disciplines, right? her attitudes, uh, her bitterness, her, her addiction, uh, everything. That's hard to do. I mean, we know some pretty messy people, but have every single area of your life messy? I mean, who does that? You got some area together, right? There's somebody, somebody like, well, look, look. Oh, he, he works for the mafia, and he's a crack dealer and a hitman. But I hear he's really a good father. I hear he's really a good father. Takes his kid a little league. 
But for Mary, I'm going to skip the next verse, guys. For Mary, um, Mary, every part's messy. So why, 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 why would Jesus choose her? I think there's somebody in this room or somebody watching online, and you're, you're so messed up. Your life is messed up. Now, I'm not denying the fact it's messy. It's so broken. You're so addicted. You're, you have such regret. You have such shame in your life. And you're thinking, hey, this God that Scott preached about who's loving and, and grace-giving and redemptive, man, that's for all these nice little Christian people at this church who've stolen a cookie from the cookie jar. But I am so broken. I'm beyond his grace. I'm beyond his reach. I'm beyond his redemption. And respectfully, I'm here to tell you, you are dead wrong. Because if Jesus would choose messy Mary, I get it, your whole, your whole life is a dumpster fire. If he would choose her, why? To not sit on the back row? Because guess what? I was thinking about these things about Mary really quick, you know, because in this story it says that she has what? She has money and she's messy. Has money and she says messy. Listen, if people are messy and don't have money, we're compassionate. You see somebody on your bridge, right, and their mental health issue, whatever, you feel bad. I mean, I give them anything, but you feel bad and you have a compassion. But in this culture, if you notice... There's a new bent that if somebody has money or fame and they act out and they're messy, we judge them. We cancel them. Oh, everybody in Magla canceled Mary. It's not a new thing. Everybody canceled her because she's rich, right? She's rich. She has this house. She has a a Bentley chariot and has Gucci sandals and Versace robe. But she's mean as a snake. So everybody cancels Mary. This old mean, crazy Mary, rich Mary in her mansion, cancel her. But Jesus rolled into Magdala. He didn't cancel her. He called her. He didn't cancel her. He had compassion for her. He didn't cancel her. He was kind to her. Well, other people scratched her from the list. He put her on the team and chose her to be the eyewitness to have the courtside seat. Row one for the resurrection of the king. And if he would choose Mary. You are not too far gone for my God. First person's Mary. I'm going to give the short tech team. Tech team's been great today, man. Tech team, Sam, thank you guys. Uh, really quick, just the first, first place. Where's the first place the Christian faith began? Bethlehem. Of course, you could argue that. The cross. Wow, the cross. Wow, it's all about the cross. I might argue, Scott, you also can make a case for it being the empty tomb. Not to diminish the importance of the virgin birth or the cross, but the Romans, of course, crucified thousands of people. But only one person checked into a tomb. And then three days later, checked out. (laughs) Validating everything he claimed, that he was the Messiah, that he was the forgiver, that he was the Son of God. And so uh, I I think the icon of our, if you're not a Christian, I know it's weird, it's weird. We celebrate what? Empty tombs and crosses. That's strange. Empty tomb, you place a decaying body, and a cross was a, tur- a torture technique the Romans used to terrify, intimidate their people, murder people. And cross. I know, we've been weird from the start. Yeah. We celebrate a cross. A cross was the weapon the bad guys used to kill our superhero. Right. But tombs, I, I thought about this, you know, tombs, don't, say, don't cancel me. <laughs> tombs are like religion without Jesus. Now, now listen, listen, stay with me. If you're from a different religious tradition, don't get mad. Don't fold your arms. Don't, I'm not, I'm not, don't counsel me. Watch it online. I respect the other world religions. But I'll just say this. But for Christians, a tomb's not a bad thing. A tomb's a good thing, right? We celebrate the tomb. But, but, and tombs are practical. Tombs are practical. I mean, think about it, right? No other animal buries their dead. Just people. You're staring at me. 
You've never seen a gorilla, a golden doodle, a goldfish, or a guppy bury their dead. Just people do that, right? And a good thing we do that, it serves a practical purpose. If we just let people die and decay, imagine this world of pandemic, how much disease we'd have. So a tomb is practical. Religion is practical. I found a study this year, conducted over the course of decades, that people who attend church one to three times a week, that's heavy engagement, live on average seven years longer. Religion's practical. But I would argue this, religion without Jesus is like the tomb in this story. It is empty. It is empty. It lacks resurrection power because everybody in Magla canceled Mary she's mean and she's crazy and she's she's bitter and she's addicted but Jesus didn't cancel her but when he exploded from that tomb he canceled her, her sin when he rose on the third day he canceled her anxiety When he rose on the third day, he canceled her fear and he canceled her guilt and he canceled her shame and he canceled her regret and he canceled her brokenness and he canceled her defeat. And I believe it's the power of the resurrected Christ that will give his church to cancel the things in this world we need to, like injustice and hatred and violence and racism. And because he's risen from the dead, he can cancel your baggage and your brokenness and your sin and your shame. If my king can throat throat punch death and hell and the grave, he can cancel any issue you face. First person, messy Mary. First place where the faith really organically begins, authentically, I would say, empty tomb. And if you allow me, I, I see I'm out of time. Right there, out of time. Give me, give me two minutes. Can I have two minutes? May I please have two minutes? Maybe three. Please say yes, because I'm going to take it, take it anyways, if Scott's okay with that. Can I end with the first words? The first words? The first words. What's the first thing that Jesus said that made Mary recognize her? And, and Caleb, I think come play right now. They can play behind me. I, I feel really spiritual. People play behind me at the end of the talk. It makes them think like he's winding down, too, so it's a good thing. Uh, let me take you back to a detail you might have missed as my team read uh, chapter 20. Let's go back to verse 15, verse 16. I love, biblical, I love biblical detail. I love great little nuances in the Bible because I think God put every single word there on purpose. Yeah. No, no typos in your Bible. Yeah. God never stutters. Yeah. Yeah. If it's there, it's for our encouragement, edification, growth, or correction. And so I'm going to show you some details. I'm going to put on the screen right now uh, John chapter 20, verse 15 and 16. So... So, again, if you're Thomas, this, this might throw you because Mary does not recognize Jesus. If you're Thomas, you're a bit of a skeptical person. You're here. Listen, I love that you're here. I love your, ask God your questions. God's really secure. You won't knock him off his throne. Just do your homework. And so you might look at this and find this strange. Uh, woman, Jesus said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking, <laughs> thinking he was the gardener. God shows up. An answer of her prayers, hopes and dreams, her wish list fulfilled. She thinks she's the gardener. She thinks God is the gardener, thinks the Lord is a landscaper. If you're Thomas, why didn't you recognize? I mean, there's good friends, right? Called her, changed her life, delivered her from the demons, whatever that means. Why? Listen, it's, it's early in the day. It's more dark than light. Uh, she's so emotional. Her eyes are clouded with tears. Her mind busy with wonder and worry all at the same time, so she doesn't recognize him at first. His, his appearance has been somewhat altered in the resurrection, we believe. And I, I love the dialogue. Put it back up, guys, if you would. Thank you so very much. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get... Love that. I love that. 
The Bible doesn't tell us anything about Mary physically, but mine's, I see her like a little woman, kind of skinny. She's had a hard life, right? She's kind of skinny, kind of frail. Maybe she's small, but she's like five foot two, 103 pounds. But she loves Jesus so much that she thinks the gardener has just moved the body. And here, sweet little Mary's like, just tell me where you put him. Just tell me where you put the body. I love him so much. Tell me you put the body. Now I'll go get him. I'll go carry him. I'll go carry him. Isn't this so sweet? And by the way, my brothers, for the men right now, one pet peeve I have with Jesus movies is the actor they cast to be Jesus. They always pick some anemic, frail guy with stringy hair, put him in flip-flops and a bathrobe, right? Miss America sash, has precious moment eyes, has one emotion, sorrow, man of sorrow, right? Are you kidding me? Read your Bible, my brothers. Jesus was a man. Jesus was a man's man. Jesus weighed 220 and had shoulders and guns and a six-pack. How do I know that? He's a carpenter. He's a construction worker. Real men followed him. Fishermen and hunter, hunters followed him, man. He connected with brothers. He was a man's man. I don't see you envision Jesus. Jesus had like a lumberjack beard, and he wore flannel, had a hair on his back, a unibrow. You with me? And here's little, little tiny, tiny, you know, five foot two, Mary. I'll go get him. I'll go carry him. Go carry Jesus. You can't carry Jesus. Christian, you never have to carry Jesus. You never have to carry Jesus, but he will always carry you. You don't have to go help Jesus, but Jesus will always show up to help you, right? Hey, Thomas, you don't have to go looking for Jesus. Just be open and he will come find you. Thinking that God is a gardener. Put the verse back up there one more time, right? So Jesus is going to say something to her. We're going to say something to her, right? He's going to say something. So, so help her recognize me. Here's the one word, right? One word. Jesus said to her, hang on, hang on. He put it up there. But I, I wouldn't have chose that word. I, I would have thought Jesus would have said, ta-da. Or boom, I did it. Or it's me, the Lord. What's he do? It says Mary. Mary. In the moment he speaks her name, her eyes are opened. You know, I think it happened right there. I think, I think in her mind, she went back to three years ago in Magla when she met Jesus the first time and her life is that dumpster fire and it's so broken, it's so messy. She's demon possessed in every single corner of her life. But that day, three years before in Magla, when Jesus spoke her name, the demons had to go back to hell and the, dar the darkness departed. And everything in her life changed back then when she, he called her name. But this time, after the resurrection, the greatest event in the history of humanity, when Jesus calls her name, everything for everybody else changes. And here's a crazy thing. He still calls people's names. What I love about this, this part, those nuance in the stories, it tells me, Scott, that God's not just powerful, beating death, the grave, Hell and sin. It's personal. You're in this room with hundreds of people. You're watching with thousands right now. And, and God will make this so personal. You're like, how in the world did God know this was exactly the word? This, this idiot's from South Florida. He didn't know me. Who's this preacher guy? I'm the text message is all I am. But the God of heaven is calling your name. Because guess what? This is your day to say yes to the resurrected king as your personal Lord and Savior. 
It's been, whoa, hey, wait, 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 hey, hey, thank you, uh, guy from South Florida. That, that, you know, thank you, it's been helpful. I've made progress. This is helping my research. Thomas, you're more ready than you know. Paul wrote, now is the time. And today, today, today is the day of your salvation. So if you've never given your heart to Christ, the resurrected king by faith, he's calling your name right now. He's saying, Nate, Carlos, Maria, Joaquin, Quinn, it's your moment. Yeah, I know you still got questions. I know you still got issues. I got questions. But the Bible says if you bring to God a little speck of faith, a mustard seed of faith, God will move mountains. You're close. You can make this step today. Well, it's not Scott preaching. Scott can't save you. He can preach down heaven, but he can't take you there. It's between you and the king. So I'm going to ask everyone in the room right now to bow your heads, close your eyes. And for somebody, man, this, this is your moment right now. This is your moment of destiny. This is the game-changing moment. You're an eyewitness of this. God's giving you the court side seat to resurrection power. And so if you want to give your life to Christ for the first time or come back to Christ, you've, you've been Peter, Thomas, you, you've been on this journey, you denied the Lord, you've made some mistakes, but you're coming back today. I want you just to raise your hand. No one's going to look but me, me and God. Raise your hand right now. Hands all over you saying, yes, this is my moment to come to Christ or my moment to come back to Christ. I see those hands. If you raise your hand or maybe didn't raise your hand, you put your hands down. Pray a prayer like this. Pray, um, okay, God. I'm in. I'm saying yes. Hey, it was not my plan today to say yes, but I think it was your plan to say yes. So I'm saying yes to all of it. I'm saying yes to salvation. I'm saying yes to forgiveness. I'm saying yes to redemption. I'm saying yes to resurrection power. I'm coming to Jesus for the first time. Or I'm coming back to you, Lord, with all of my heart right now to recommit my life to you. Lord, thank you for receiving me, for forgiving me, and infusing my life with resurrection power. Because in Jesus' name, you will never cancel me. Amen. Oh, put your hands together because somebody around you prayed that prayer. Put your, oh, no, no. Somebody around you prayed that prayer. Somebody prayed that game-changing prayer. Wow. Free life from a selfish pastor. Thank you so much. God bless.